Good morning again, everyone. <clears throat> Let's talk about sex. <laughs> well, maybe we should talk about the World Cup. <laughs> <laughs> about sex in a very conscious way is difficult. It's touchy, touchy, <laughs> touchy subject. Um, it's almost as touchy as death. Let's talk about death. Let's talk about sex. It's a very charged subject, uh, one that we don't often address directly. But as students of the Buddha, we don't shy away from anything, any subject, especially a subject that is so charged and which can create so much suffering in our lives on so many levels. And so it's important that we address themes, subjects, topics, parts of our lives that uh, impact us, especially from, this respect, from, from the perspective of the precepts, either create suffering in our lives, our suffering or the suffering of others, or, or situations that separate us, that separate us from ourselves and separate us from others. And sex is one of those themes, those topics that have, has the potential for creating suffering within us and creating suffering for others, as well as separating ourselves from ourselves as well as separating us from others. <clears throat> Clearly, it's obvious that situations like adultery, sexual abuse, and sexual addiction, those are unwholesome actions unwholesome situations. Adultery causes suffering. Abuse causes suffering. And addiction of all sorts, and particularly sexual addictions, create suffering. So those are pretty clear situations and actions to avoid. I think that goes without saying. There are other more subtle, less obvious forms of suffering that is created, uh, are created by sexual activities. Again, we can probably say pretty clearly that Sex as gender, 
you know, what is your sex, male, female? And of course, even that today is not so clear. So even something we take to be so obvious, uh, like, you know, adultery is wrong. Um, even the notion of a, a, a gender now becomes an issue which seemed to be obvious in the past, but now it's, it's become an issue and it creates a lot of suffering. But simply on the biological level, we could say that sex is just copulation. It's just making babies, preserving the species. Animals do it. Plants do it. The birds and the bees do it. There's a song about that. Um, and we do it. It's, it's a biological fact. But complications arise not on that biological level so much. But when we get into sexual activity which involves not just biology, but which involves the mind, which involves the imagination, which involves the narratives that we, the stories that we tell ourselves, uh, the way the mind works, fantasies, uh, expectations, uh, uh, demands, all kinds of things that go on, not just as a physiological impulse or drive, but is embedded in the activities of the mind and the heart. We, in Buddhist practice, we call it the heart-mind. So I'd like to, we have been addressing this, uh, these issues uh, with respect to the precepts, the engaged Buddhist precepts. And I'd like to read the precept on sexual misconduct, which is kind of an interesting uh, formulation of this precept. This is the 14th of the engaged precepts. Do not mistreat your body. Learn to handle it with respect. Do not look on your body only as an instrument. Preserve vital energies, sexual, breath, spirit, for the realization of the way. For brothers and sisters, sisters who are not monks and nuns, sexual expression should not take place without love and commitment. So now he's, uh, this precept is referring to lay practitioners, people who are not in a monastery. Those in monasteries are typically those who uh, uh, observe celibacy, which is the whole issue of sex uh, is put aside. We don't have to deal with that because uh -huh. we've made a, a commitment not to have it, not to be involved with it in any way, including masturbation. You know, it's just a vow that it's so powerful. We don't even want to have to deal with it. We don't want it to be any kind of distraction. So we make a commitment to do away with it. 
as we learn, as we have learned, that doesn't often work. Uh, so anyway, it, it works some of the time. And it, it, is, it is a commitment, uh, but it's pretty clear based on what we've experienced as scandals all over the place, sex scandals, that that kind of thing is not easy to observe. So for lay practitioners, for, for us, sexual expression should not take place without love and commitment. In sexual relationships, be aware of future suffering that may be caused. To preserve the happiness of others, respect the rights and commitments of others. Be fully aware of the responsibility of bringing new lives into the world. Meditate on the world into which you are bringing new beings. I would like to focus on, there's a lot to, we could talk about this for a long time, uh, and maybe we will. Uh, but I want to focus on the three beginning admonitions. Respect the body, respect your body. And if you respect your body, you're more likely to respect the bodies of others. Don't mistreat your body. And if you don't mistreat your body, you're more likely not to mistreat the bodies of others. And do not treat your body as an instrument, as an object. I'm, I'm going to refer to this admonition as objectifying your body, which is often what we see in pornography the objectification of the of the body, both male and female. So the body is to be treated in a certain way. And um, there is a wonderful quote from James Joyce, the first sentence of his short story, The Dubliners. And it reads, Mr. Duffy lives a short distance away from his body. Mr. Duffy lives a short distance away from his body. When I read that, I thought, yeah. To what degree do I live a short distance from my body? In other words, to what degree do I not inhabit my body? I am not in it, but watching it or, or doing things to it, like, for example, um, dyeing my hair, which I don't do, or shaving my head, or wearing, you know, piercing my ears, or 
putting on a costume, um, bringing it to the gym, uh, looking at it and, and saying, well, this needs to be thinner. This needs to be more muscular. Uh, you know, looking at my body as an object, uh, looking myself in the mirror, oh, that, you know, that's not quite the way I want to look today. Um, so it's, it's this distance, this almost the kind of disembodying of everything. All this is very alive, but all this is what, what uh, is sometimes, we sometimes call a skin bag. We kind of drag it around. But this is, this is really where life happens. But this, we just kind of, kind of manipulate. Um, and dress it up like a doll, you know, you dress it up and you do things to it to make it look presentable. We put lipstick on it, you know, we do makeup, you know, we just do a lot of things to make it into some object that we can present to the world. So I, 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 uh, sat with that, not only sat with that, but began to notice the extent to which I live, sometimes a little distant from my body and sometimes way distant, way away. I was in Japan a couple of years ago and traveling and staying in uh, these little inns and breakfast. And in these little inns, you don't have private bathrooms. You have communal baths uh, and bathrooms. And I was traveling for a few days and uh, needed a bath. And the communal, the communal bath was down on the lower level. And I made my way down there with my towel and my bathrobe. And outside of the entrance to the bathroom, you leave your shoes. And I came down and I saw two pairs of shoes outside of the communal bath. Well, I turned around and went <laughs> to my room. Um, I don't think so. I don't, I don't think I'm going to get into a bathtub with at least two other people. Um, so I waited a while and figured, well, they'll be finished. And I came down again, maybe a half an hour to an hour later. There were still two pairs of slippers there. I said, oh, this is ridiculous. You know, I'm going to go in and um, dragged my body in and got undressed in the little ante room there before the, the, the bath. And unfortunately they had this full length mirror that you had to pass, <laughs> enter the bath, the bath. And I was completely naked and had to pass this full length mirror. I turned around, put my bathrobe on, 
back to my room. I did not like what I saw at all. And I was not prepared to present that body to those other people in, in the back. And that was a tremendous lesson, a tremendous teaching. I actually finally, you'll be proud of me, I did finally do it. There, were, there was only one person in the, in the tub at the time. So I, did, I made a third trip. It's like three strikes and you're out. <laughs> <laughs> I decided to do it the third time. And she didn't look at me. She wasn't interested. But I was really interested. I did, I did not accept my body. Um, and if I can't accept my, my body, the reality of my body uh, as naked, how, how can I accept the bodies of others without judgment, you know, without judgment? If I'm gonna be judging myself all the time, how, how can I look at another person and see them uh, fully who they are, what their body is? So that was a great teaching. How can we re-inhabit our bodies? Because my sense is that in, in our practice, in Buddhist practice, The healthiest form of sex, of sexual relations, is what I would call intimacy. Is the capacity to be intimate with another person, maybe beyond that, I don't, I mean, I'm not making any particular standard of what an intimate relationship is, but certainly involves acceptance and seeing that person or persons for what they really are, who they really are, what their bodies are really like, without judgment and with full uh, acceptance and care and love, no mistreatment, no judgment, uh, no abuse. Uh, this, this is me. I, I accept who I am and I accept you exactly as you are. What gets in the way so much of that is you might say social and cultural pressures. Uh, I mean, we live in a world of a lot of indirect experiences, of pre-digested pre information, of fantasies. Sometimes we saw, you know, the Hallmark card version, uh, fashion, we're, we're constantly assaulted by how we should look, how it's fashionable to look, 
how it's um, attractive to look. Um, so our world is full of symbols and unexamined values uh, of what a person, what a body, what it means to be embodied. And <clears throat> so we're really up against a lot of, maybe, maybe the general word is delusions or fantasies. And then when we actually see a real body like I saw in the mirror, the full length mirror, you know, that doesn't look like the cover of Vogue. <laughs> that doesn't even look like anyone I, well, and I'm not on Facebook, but mm -hmm. anyone, I don't know, that presents themselves on, you know, in a bikini on a beach. I don't look anything like that. So there's all that kind of pressure uh, of should, of the ideal, the ideal body that we somehow carry around with us. And we're bound to not to measure up. So how do we come to this acceptance, this, the reality, not of the fantasy, not of the delusion, but of the reality of our bodies and the bodies of others, so that we can respect, treat with care and love and compassion, and not objectify either ourselves or others. Thus, not living at a distance from ourselves or from others. So we can have true intimacy where that distance is bridged. And not, well, you know, you don't look good, you don't smell good, you don't, you know, and I'm a distant from you. But no, this is, this is, this is it. This is the person that I'm connected with. The distance, that short distance, or that long distance is bridged in intimacy. And it only happens with full acceptance and inhabiting what is, what is really here. The answer, one of the answers, how do we re-inhabit or learn to inhabit our bodies? Sit zazen. <laughs> this seems kind of a strange solution or strange advice. But when we sit, we are sitting, fully inhabiting our bodies. <clears throat> when Buddha sat, under the bow tree. He was sitting on the earth just as he was, just as it was. This was his body placed on the cushion, on the grass, on the kusa grass, grass that he made into a cushion. And I believe that when he was challenged by Mara, 
And Mara is the translated as the Lord of the senses. Buddha was challenged by temptation of his body, of, of all the temptations, not of the mind, but of the body, the sensual temptations. And the final temptations were all these, Mara sent all these beautiful women, you know, to lure him off the cushion. And he held his ground. And Mara said, um, look, all of, my, all, of, all of these temptations, all of these sensual pleasures, all of these uh, bodily attractions, they speak for me. They speak that I am the Lord. I am the one in control. And Mara says to Buddha, who speaks for you? And what did Buddha do? He, he responded with a mudra, which is a hand position, which is a gesture which is beyond words. Beyond words. This is the mudra. Placed his hand on the earth. And the earth goddess, this is called the earth witnessing mudra. The earth goddess arose and I speak for you. This is what he did to confirm his awakening. Strange. He didn't argue. He didn't try to defend himself. He just touched the earth. I'm not like I did. <laughs> he just, he didn't have to do it. He didn't have to stomp, you know. He just touched, lightly touched the earth with his, with his hand. And from my point of view, at least in part, it was his body that awakened, not his mind. This was an awakening of his body. His his bringing the earth into the aliveness of his body. So we often think of enlightenment as some kind of mental activity, you know, some sort of almost intellectual or uh, mind opening of the mind. I don't know about that. At least it's worth considering that this confirmation was, I am complete. I am fully embodied. I am here. I am here now in this body. This mudra is called Bhumi Sparsha, Earth Witnessing Mudra. We could say that this action is a way of becoming intimate with one's own body, which is the body of the earth. It's 
Buddha's way of becoming intimate with himself, which is sometimes how we would describe sitting, particularly when we face the wall and we have no place else to go, we're becoming, there's no place to go. We're just here with ourselves, with our being. And a lot, you can see when, when we're sometimes meditating, I don't want to be here. I don't want to be with myself. I want to be a little distant from my body. You know, I, I want to be anywhere but on this cushion. I want to be anywhere but, but with this being here now. When we bow, this is a form of zazen too, and it's a form of embodiment. When we bow, our feet are on the ground, our knees touch the ground, our bellies touch the ground, our chest touches the ground, our arms touch the ground, our hands touch the ground, our forehead touches the ground. We are, this is Bhumi Sparsha. This is not just about worshiping something when we bow. Our full prostration is embodying, is going down into the earth, becoming and coming up fully embodied, a fully embodied being. So our zazen, our bowing is this coming, awakening as a fully embodied being. When we awaken this way, we awaken all the bodies of the Buddha. There are probably countless numbers, but we speak about the three bodies of the Buddha, Nirmanakaya, this historical body that walks around and lives in the world, Dharmakaya, which is the body of the Dharma, the teachings that Buddha said, when you see me, you see the Dharma, you see the teachings. It's not about me personally. It's you see me as someone who transmits the Dharma. And then there's the Sambhogakaya body, which is the bliss body of the Buddha. This is Buddhist sex. Is the bliss body of the Buddha. The Buddha who is orgasmic. <laughs> It's beyond body and mind. It's the bliss of being a fully complete human being. And man, does that feel good. So our practice is sexual. We become intimate with ourselves. We become intimate, we become intimate with others. 
and we become intimate with the world. No better sex than that. <laughs>